to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. I thought we were the lucky ones. And how does someone get found guilty of this and go to prison? And she said, the majority of the people that go to prison for this are re-offenders. So they, they've done it more than once. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Today we get to speak to beautiful Molly. Now we've heard from her before. You can go back and listen to her first episode, which I really encourage you to do because this one won't make much sense. We'll put that in the show notes so you can find it easily. But Molly is a mum of two girls. And these two girls were sexually assaulted by her long-term partner. We had the biggest response from her episode. So much love, so much support. People wanting to give money to her and the girls that were currently displaced and not living in a permanent home when we had her on the first time. So many of you had questions. So many of you wanted to know about the court case. So many wanted to know how the girls were. So that's what we did today. Molly and I spoke about everything that has happened since she was last on the deep. Content warning. If you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. Molly, welcome back. Hello. For everyone that doesn't know your story, it was probably one of the saddest we've ever had on the deep, and that's saying a lot because there's an incredible amount of sadness in this podcast. But for yeah. those that haven't listened, I really recommend you press pause and go back to listen to Molly's um, episode. We'll put it in the show notes so you can find it easily. But... I mean, I, I, I don't even want to say in a nutshell because that sounds so dismissive, but how do we, how do you summarize something like that? How do you, when you have to share this with someone, do you share it? Now I kind of just word vomit it out and, I, and I'm expecting that shock value from them as soon as I say it. Like I've had you know, a couple of years now to sit with it and um, unpack it. But when someone here, you have to tell someone for the first time, I just, I know exactly what their face is going to look like when I say it. What do you say in those moments of word vomit? I, I think people must think I'm quite cold and because um, I just, yeah, I do. I blurt it out. I'm just, you know, both my children were sexually assaulted by someone that they called dad. And people would, yeah, just shocked. It's like a punch in the guts. 
Yeah, it is. And I know this story and it's still, so for everyone listening, exactly what I said, stop and go back because that one-liner is what we discussed in the first episode, but there was this outpouring of love for you and the girls after that episode went to air. Like people were contacting me going, how can I send her money? How can I help her? Like it was just truly, I've never seen that for another episode. Yeah. I've read all the, I went, I went and read all the me- the messages on the Instagram. Like, um, and yeah, I was a blubbering mess because they're just, you know, complete strangers that have said the most kindest things that kind of just held a space for us and really supported Mm. us when you know close friends I've lost from this but then people I don't even know or know my children are just leaving such beautiful words of support so I felt like that a lot had was happening at the time that we spoke and now that time has passed people are still dropping in to the dms asking about you and the girls asking about the court case asking about how you are and i thought what better way than to have you share it with Mm -hmm. us all another question though that was the big one Mm -hmm. which i'd love to discuss with you today before we get into what has happened since we spoke last was their biological father and the impact on him. We didn't really get into that. How was that? I remember being absolutely petrified to tell him because I felt like I had failed as a mother. And he he is a really good dad. Yes, mm. you know. We separated, but, you know, um, I can't fault him as a father. Um, So, yeah, I was absolutely petrified because I thought, you know, I have these kids 100% of the time. He lives in another state. And so, yeah, I was absolutely petrified of telling him because I thought I failed as a mother and that he would want to take the kids away from me. Mm. Um, So I held off telling him because I fled on that night. I think it was the next morning I told him. I don't think I told him that night. Um, God. Yeah, I just was putting it off. I was so scared. But, you know, he has a right to know. And I remember telling him and expecting the worst. And it was the complete opposite. He was extremely supportive. Um, He still is extremely supportive. Um, And he hasn't questioned anything that I have done. He you know, um, he relies on me to update him with the kids therapy and stuff like that. And I do, but, um, yeah, not once has he he ever made me feel like I, like this was my fault. Did he know your ex that did this? Yes. He met, he met him a few times, um, when he would fly down and come spend time with the kids. Did he, as a father, want to kill that person? Yeah. Like I'm, yeah, and I mean that quite literally, you know, the rage a father must have 
to someone that would do that to their children. Have you spoken to him much about how he has processed? No. So I'm someone that um, struggles with opening up, I think. Um, I don't do well with other people's emotions. Like I don't know because I self I self soothe when I'm upset. I don't look to anyone else to comfort me. Um, Mm -hmm. I never have. And so I find it hard to comfort others. Um, So, yeah, no, that's probably bad on my behalf. I haven't actually spoken in depth to him about how he's coping with this. Can we now talk about where we left off Mm -hmm. when we spoke to you? What has happened between since we spoke last and, and this conversation? Soon after, we were extremely lucky and um, got secured our own place. So we finally had a place. So that has been a blessing. Um, And we've been in here ever since. But, yeah, everything else has been, you know, still doing therapy. Um, My eldest has probably trauma wise been suffering the most Mm. um she developed um voices she was i brought her a book to to write in um that we could take to therapy where she could write down the things that she wanted to talk about in therapy and i when she was at school i read her book and it um told me that she'd written you know the voices are telling me I need to kill myself (sighs) she's you know I just didn't think that these are the things that I would have to be worrying about for such a young person um so yeah she's been dealing with that I mean she's doing really well now Oh, my God. You're preparing the girls for their testimonies. Yeah. I can't even imagine what that entails. Who is working with them for this part? Is it you? It's me. Like, no one, I don't know about anyone else's experience, but our experience it was you know these 16 17 months we've been in the dark like nobody there's no one helping us you know we've met so many different solicitors our cases you know pass through four or five different hands we never have anyone regular i put the kids in therapy and the therapist was helping us get ready can I ask you though, mm-hmm. from the time of the assault yep. to this point mm-hmm. is how long? Um, I want to say 16 months maybe. <gasps> wow. Okay, so yeah. 16 months it's taken to get here. The, I guess the understanding I got from it was... You were hopeful, but you weren't disillusioned into thinking 
something drastic might happen because you knew from your research that very rarely are victims honoured and given the sentence given to the perpetrator. It's, it doesn't always work like that. Yeah, by doing my own research, I knew that, um, you know, less than tw- there was a less than 20% chance that we would go to court um, because, you know, less than 2% are ever held accountable for their actions. And, and less than 20% even get to court. Yeah, even get to court, yeah. Did you get to court? No. Fuck. We didn't. I'm so sorry. I knew from day one we were told that there was a, you know, it could be pulled or dropped at any any time. Um, and just because we get another court date does not mean that, you know, we are going to go to court. So um, I got a phone call. We were two, I think about two weeks out from the kids testifying in court. And so a law had been passed recently where um, the kids were able to testify before the actual trial. Mm, Um, Great. Yeah, so they were two weeks out from that, I'm pretty sure, and I got a phone call from uh, the detective saying that um, this was on a Friday and I knew on Monday I had to be in town to meet with solicitors. Um, and so the detective yeah, rang me on the Friday and said, look, I received an email from the solicitors and I just want to give you a heads up. We normally don't get this letter this late, this far into the um, process, but I have an inkling that they might be dropping the case. Mm. But my eldest, she took the dropping of the case really hard. Yeah. Really hard because, you know, we do, we... You know, in the games that kids play as kids, it is, you know, when you play cops and robbers or anything like that, the the cop puts the robber in jail. They're, they're brought up on this idea that when you do something wrong, you get, you, you he- you're held accountable for it. So There's think, justice. Yes. Her whole world was just blown apart when she doesn't understand someone did something so bad basically gets away with it i was so angry i'm like you know what he has a lawyer he can pick up the phone to any day or night because he's paying our lawyer and be like i need guidance for this and even if he got convicted he would have someone a lawyer go to him don't worry this doesn't mean anything we can you know, go for an appeal. He's always got someone watching his back where I felt like we were the perpetrators. And when they told me they weren't proceeding with prosecution, that they were dropping the case, that was it. No one contacted me, you know, are are you okay? Because this is probably extremely hard for you. Nobody. I just don't understand that a civilian woman, a normal woman, a mother 
is supposed to have the insight onto, first of all, you're just dealing with the daily trauma, but you're supposed to have some kind of idea on how to navigate this horrific situation through a legal team or a legal system to get to the other side to prosecute. Like it's almost there to make you fail. Yes. And that's exactly. So when they told us that they were not proceeding with prosecution, they said to me then and there in that office, this, I had not met this lawyer before. She was not one of the other ones that I'd met before. So she was brand new and she was telling me that we're not proceeding. She then said, you have 24 hours to write a letter if you decide to get a second opinion um, to somehow, I don't know, for the next person that reads the, the case to maybe convince them to change their mind. Um, so I went home that night and I stayed up all night writing this letter, um, crying my eyes out and then also dealing with my kids' heartbreak and I submitted this letter and then I had time to do some research after and I found out that they had lied to me. I actually had legally two weeks to make that decision whether I even wanted someone to give me a second opinion on it. Wow. Is this his, is that his team or is this just this the is my neutral team. party? <gasps> this oh my is, gosh. Yes, this is the DPP. Um, so all criminal cases have to go through the Department of Prosecution. You can't, so I can't hire my own lawyer um, to represent me. Um, but he yet. can hire he, his he own can lawyer. Hire, yes, and he did. But that doesn't make sense I because know. you're the victims. He gets more rights than we do, um, which totally sucks. So, yeah, so I felt like I needed to hire, and I wrote that in my letter to them, that I should, I felt like I needed to hire my own lawyer to come with me to go yes. see my solicitors just to make sure that I was getting the right information for all my legal rights. Yeah. I want to go back a minute. How do you prepare these very young children like protect them and keep them safe, but discuss this and talk about this thing is going to happen mm. and you need to share with strangers these very difficult things. They were petrified. They didn't want to do it. You know, there was even in the earlier days where, you know, they didn't want to put him in jail. I remember because she, yeah. your eldest was mad at you for breaking up the family. Yeah. So that was, that took a lot of work to, um, you know, get through that. But then there was a lot of work on, you know, they're going to be told that they're liars, that they're making this up and you have to explain to them that, you mm -hmm. know, he, they want to make you look like a liar. Oh my but gosh. But what you're saying is true. We know it's true. You know it's true. We all believe you. But it's his job to, to make you feel like you're lying. How confusing for them. So confusing. And, you know, that's what they said when they decided to drop the case was, you know, they weighed up the trauma that that will cause for the children. 
But the trauma's done. And I understand yeah. that reliving it in front of strangers and being told you're a liar and being cross-examine you. Yeah. I guess that that is traumatising, but also the preparation is traumatising and for them not to have their voice heard, Just... I can't imagine as a mother getting that call. Like what a fucking waste of their innocence yeah you know like if it was worth something if it was getting you somewhere then yeah we'll do all of this awful shit to get there but to do it all and then not to have your moment I just it makes my skin crawl I can't even imagine how you felt like you've been silenced but um they told us that the you know that they it was the reason that they gave us Look, in hindsight, I get it now, but at the time I was absolutely furious um, because the children are too young. So what had happened was the day that the kids disclosed to me that night when they both said at the same time, but he does this to us, they both, that's when they both found out for the first time that it had been happening to each other. So, oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't know if we knew that at the, no, the first time. I didn't the even first know. recording. Yeah, I didn't oh, even you didn't know, know that. that. I didn't know that they didn't know what happened to each other until you know the case was being dropped, and they told me that when the youngest went in for her interview with Child Protective Services when I wasn't there, she said, um. He he did this to us, which indicated that she knew. Yes, it was both he, of them. It was both of them. So then the next day after her interview, the eldest was interviewed by the police and the police had said, taking from the youngest interview, that you must have seen it happen to the, your sister. And she said, no, I never know. I never knew what happened to her. I only know what happened to me. I never saw it happen to her. So there we have created reasonable doubt because the youngest has accidentally said us instead of me, instead of me, because she only just found out. So that wasn't necessarily indicating that she knew the whole time it was happening to both of them, but she was also four. four. She's four. So that's why so his lawyers can use that as reasonable doubt. So wow. unknowingly, a four-year-old has, you know, they've lost their chance, basically. But that just doesn't, it has to, like, being a rational person, I think, okay, there's a spectrum of reasonable doubt. Mm. And when you're dealing with a four-year-old, yeah, where language is still developing, that has to be weighed up yes and i agree too but in that 24 hours that i had to write this letter to to make him change their mind sort of thing i rang everyone i knew um hoping that someone could help me somehow and a family member had a connection with the attorney general which was amazing and they contacted the attorney general um, who then alerted the director of prosecution. Now he's, you know, the big boss of all the solicitors in the DPP. So he's pretty high up there. And, you know, he used to be a judge of the Supreme Court. And he got a hold of 
my case and he um I got a phone call after we were told they're no longer continuing. I got a phone call from the um detective saying that, you know, the director of prosecution would like to meet with you and I automatically thought you know, shit, what have I done wrong? Because, mm. you know, I didn't hold back in this email. I'm pretty sure I accused them of not even being up to the same standard as his lawyer. Mm. Which, he... well, I mean, that's yeah. your experience at the time, so that's not wrong. I had nothing to lose and I felt like I was grasping at straws. And also <laughs> you're a mama bear, like, fighting yeah. for your cubs, you know? Yep. So he came down and saw me and sat with me. And do you know what? If he had just, if that was the experience that I had from the start, someone like him sitting down and actually telling me and answering all my questions and being patient with me, then I think this would have been a total different experience. But I felt like I was the perpetrator, you know, these whole 17, 16 months. But he said that if we took this to trial and he got a not guilty because of that reasonable doubt, then he has every right to tell everyone that he did not commit this crime because he was found to have not done it by a uh, a judge. And he even would have got a victims of crime payout. No. Yeah. So by dropping the case, he does not get the same rights as an innocent person. Yes, Yes, he was not found guilty, but he did not go to court and clear his name and get a not guilty. Did this person lay it all out and say, "Yeah, yeah, this is this is where it all stands, and this is what it will look like if you continue to fight, and if he goes to court, it could be worse." Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I mean, me, I, I, I'm looking through my lens, going, "No way, a jury or a judge is going to take that four-year-old's mishap." That's me, yeah. but mate, that's my lens, right? We don't know who's going to be in the jury. Mm. So was he saying to you, I know this feels like a huge loss, mm-hmm. but he's still going, it's not going to be the same as him clearing his name. So there's still going to be some kind of damage a- attached to him? Yes. And he had reassured me that so by a drop by not proceeding he still remains an accused sex offender on police files because just because they didn't proceed with prosecution those charges are still there he doesn't he needs to go to court and get a not guilty to get rid of those charges um and he will never be able to pass a working with children's check which means he wants to be a football coach when we were together that was something that was important for him he can never do that he'll never be able to do that um if he has children he will never be able to like volunteer at school for his yeah. children cuz at school you need a working with children's check he can't and he wanted children didn't he yes with you yes yeah so you know that's something that he wants so this it is a dark cloud that's going to follow him in every relationship, in everything. But, of course, we want him locked up. We I want him on a sex offenders register at the very minimum. Um, but as the director was saying to me, he said that, you know, there is change coming, but at the moment it is, you know, an adult system and these are children trying to get justice in an adult system that was not built 
for child sex offences. They were built for, the system was built for murderers. Yeah. Because we already know that even if he got convicted, he probably would not see the inside of a jail cell. Why? That's just our system. Actually, the detective I have spoken to after all of this happened, um, and I said to her, how, like, I thought we had a good shot at this. I was so confident in this. I thought, you know, I thought we were the lucky ones. And how does someone get found guilty of this Mm. and go to prison? And she said, the majority of the people that go to prison for this are re-offenders. So they, they've done it more than once. So, and this is the, this is the thing I was Mm. thinking was, so what, he's going to go out into the community, Mm -hmm. potentially be in a situation where he meets someone that has kids again. Yeah. Have his own kids. Yeah. Potentially sexually assault them. And then what, be here all over again. And there's more children traumatized. There's more lives ruined. That's just the system. Yeah. And then maybe he'll get locked up with a 1% chance. Yeah, and if he did get locked up, I'm pretty sure his sentence wouldn't be that long either. But, yeah, it's, it's That's what so, we're working with here. Yeah, that there is someone like him walking out there um, free to do, to have children, to marry someone that already has children. I mean, I try my best to make sure that he is, not living a comfortable life. Like he still, he was playing um, football. (laughs) I would ring every football club in the league and tell them because I'm not, you know, I I was like, no, he has, you know, these family football clubs with children. So yeah, I'd ring everyone and tell them. I think you should, I mean, I would like, go on a current affair or something. <laughs> I was yeah, oh. thinking like, how do we like make a lot of noise about this? I don't know. Oh my gosh. So he, when he got arrested for this, the only reason why he was not held in remand until his court dates or because he had a clean slate, like he'd never been arrested before. So he was on bail which I think is a huge deal. You're on bail for child sex offences. Like this is not, you know. It's not shoplifting. No. it's So the football club was letting him play football. A guy that had, you know, that was on bail for child sex offences that he played for. And so he, while on bail, he wasn't allowed to be anywhere near where me or the kids were. So I'd leave the kids with my mom and I would rock up at all of his football matches locally so he would have to leave. Is that because you have a um ADO? Yeah, in the bail. Yeah, it's part of his um his conditions. Not, yeah, part of his conditions. But so the football club knew and um he played for two se- almost two seasons after being arrested and this whole trial and I know so many people that emailed in and I even emailed in and my response was same with everyone else's from this football club that they are no longer talking about this matter and they know basically their rights and they have every right to 
play him. And I, and I agree, you totally have every right, but I'm questioning your morals when you know that he's on bail for child sex offences. Yeah. So he'd rock up to go play football and everyone there knew what he, about him and they were screaming at him, yelling, you know, horrible things at him. That football club then rang local police station saying our player is being yelled at all these horrible things. What can you do to help us? So they would bend over backwards for this accused child sex offender, but concerned parents, they were telling, you know, go away, leave us alone. We're not (gasps) talking to you about this. Yeah. They did that for nearly two seasons. That is so disgusting. I know. So that's, you know, again, that's an issue we have is, you know, why would you come forward and say that you've been sexually assaulted by someone when look what happens when you do, you get treated like a liar. There's more support for the accused than, you know, the victims. You were with him for quite a while. So you had a friendship group together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from the breakdown of this. Obviously people take sides. Did you ever hear from any of these mutual friends what he was going around telling people? What's his version? I didn't tell anyone about this until, so there was a period of almost six weeks from when we made the report to when he was arrested. There was like an investigation. Um, So I think I mentioned that in part one, you're not just automatically arrested when someone says, accuses you of something. They have to do an actual investigation to make sure there's actually a reason to arrest. So Mm -hmm. they did that for almost six weeks and were like, yes, there's enough here to make an arrest. So I didn't tell anyone until he was arrested. Um, And that's, I mean, like close friends and family didn't even know. Um, And you know, then obviously people started to talk and it got around, which I knew it would. And, um, I found out through not even close friends, just, you know, acquaintances and stuff that he had been telling everyone that I was just a jealous ex that he'd left me and he's just, I'm, I'm the burnt one. So I'm just making up all these look. And I expected that from, the start and I'm okay with that I just felt like we're you know we're grown adults and I feel like if that was my friend or someone that I knew that I would get their side of the story but not one single person that we were mutual friends with except for one couple have ever reached out just to hear my side of the story so you are you telling me that they all believe him I don't know. I'm assuming they believe him because none of them have contacted and said, you know, oh my God, I heard what happened. Are you okay? Or, you know, can you tell me what happened? Or they just, no, nothing. Silence. Or they've left me off. They've come off Facebook. I don't know. I just, and these, and these people are parents themselves. They've got kids. And would still have their children around someone like him? I think, look, there would have been a little bit of, you know, doubt planted in the back of their head there when they see him. They might be a little extra cautious or maybe you'd have to, right? I would think 
as a parent, whether you truly believe it or not, you'd be a little bit more, you know, maybe I shouldn't invite him over for the barbecue this week or yeah, maybe keep an extra eye on him like, or tell your husband, hey, babe, maybe not let him around the kids. I don't know. And his family believe him? Part of the um, bail conditions is his family and friends are not allowed to have contact with the kids and I I mean that those rules are not in place now because the you know he's not on bail anymore but um so they were never allowed to contact me or anything like that I mean they could now but I haven't heard from anyone in retrospect was there anything about him or did he ever say anything weird or do anything that now you look back and go that could have been a red flag or was he so committed to this when I was discussing our relationship with child protective services they said that it was obvious that he was grooming my children, which absolutely shocked me because I did not see that. I just, you know, he's from a wealthy family. He's used to having, you know, if you want something, you have it kind of thing. You you get it sort of thing. Um, So I just assumed that that's what he was bringing to my children. So like, you know, whatever my kids wanted, he went and bought for them it doesn't matter the price he would go by which I thought was normal but you know these people from the child protective services were like no this is grooming he was grooming your children um which I didn't that was not a red flag for me and I think for lots of people listening would be like oh gosh I buy my kids everything or yeah Yes. Were there were there other elements to the grooming? There were games. Um, I still don't know. Like I'm still so in the dark. The only way I'll ever know truly is when the kids are old enough to actually articulate it Explain all to it. me. Yeah. Mm. But um, apparently there were games that he had created with them. Uh, a doctor's game. There mm. was. Um, another game called the claw or something, which I don't know the details of how the game would go. Um, so I think that was all part of grooming to see how far he could get away with something, mm-hmm. making it part of an everyday game. So it became normal. Um, and to just see how far he could go. Um, look, he, there was never a red flag enough that I wouldn't trust him with my Alone children. with the kids. Yeah. If yeah. anything, when f- I've had this conversation with a friend, if anything, I'd say being in a relationship with him for three years and knowing him for 15 plus years, he still came across a little bit sleazy to me. Okay. Um, As in in front of you to other people or just yeah. to you? Yeah. So, I mean, he was – we went overseas together and my mother came with and he was suggesting that he sleeps with my mother in front of my mother as a joke. But now that I look back at that, that 
is a red flag. Yeah, got it. Yeah, but at the time I was like, you know, oh, God, you're just drunk. This is embarrassing. Can you please stop? That's my mother. Got it. Yeah. Sorry to ask you, and I, I'm asking because I know people are going to be like, holy shit, like, am I missing something, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that would probably be the yeah, biggest sort of thing, sleazy. Listening to the first episode, you had really strong boundaries with the girls as well. Like we never close bedroom doors. We don't touch other people's privates. Like you were doing the things I'm doing. Like I'm raising my kids with these books, right, that are, it's called my underpants rule. Yeah. And you read the book and it's got little questions and, you know, you do all of those things and you think, okay, hopefully that they're, informed enough at three mm-hmm. that if something really bad happens, they'll tell us. But at the same time, it's more insidious than that. It's more insidious than the, just the book, you know? Yeah. And we look at people that do those things like pedophiles or people like opportunists like that, that um, it's as, as monsters. And you know what, if they were monsters, then this wouldn't be happening so often. These, mm. I think, if I took anything away from this, it would be to stress to our children that these are people you know, can know, and are in your, you know, 90% of the time or even higher, it is someone you know and you trust know. And, and love. And that's, I think I said that in part one, I was so busy keeping my eye on everyone else that it was happening right under my nose. And that's the thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, we've talked about the girls in length and their recovery and their counselling and therapy. Where are you at with losing, you know, this great love, with learning that your instincts were completely off, all of these things that can just change the way that you have all, you've, see the world uh, my worldview has definitely changed and sorry I didn't mean to sound disrespectful with saying instincts were off you know but I guess what I'm trying to say is that the version in which you lived your life was dismantled yeah um I um I I do I start it eats at me some days it's you know there's good days and bad days um there is I have lost so much confidence in myself and trust, like I don't trust anyone. Um, Sometimes it consumes my day, like the kids were late for school and I physically dropped them off. I saw them walk into the school, but we were late and they didn't check in. So I get this message on my phone from the school saying, you know, your kids are absent. Why? Oh my God. I start panicking thinking that, you know, someone has come and stolen my kids and then, you know, are going to turn sex traffic my kids somewhere. So Mm. I I ring the school and they're like, ring their classroom and the kids are there perfectly fine. They just forgot to check in because they were late. I physically saw them there. I dropped them there, but still this is, 
like I just don't trust anyone. I just, and I'm constantly, I guess, an overboard helicopter mum now, but. But you're now operating with PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's it. Yeah. How has it been for you? And this is what is so complex that we touched on a little bit. The first time was like, you also had a breakup and you also had, yeah, a loss of your relationship um, and your life. Was that a complicated grieving process? Um, yes, it was, but I don't think it was for as long as what would probably be expected. Um, I think I went into this mode where I just shut off everything that I was feeling like, um, detached from everything and just focus, had like this tunnel vision of just the girls and setting them up. Mm. So, um, protection for them that they won't, I don't, you know, to lessen the chance of these statistics of them, you know, being, you know, committing suicide or turning to, um, another for a coping form of coping, like drugs or alcohol or stuff like that, just setting them up with all this support. So that will never be a path that they will ever go through. Um, that I just, yeah, detached from everything and didn't worry about how I was thinking or feeling. Um, and I think now that things have slowed down and the kids are coping a lot better that, you know, I'm starting to realize that, um, I have no confidence. I don't trust anyone. I I feel, you know, where do I, what do I do now? Heal. Can you heal? Yeah, I thought, I thought about this and I feel like when this all happened, I'm someone that is knowledge is power for me. And I was trying to get my hands on every bit of material that I could to read and kind of help see how to work through this with as much knowledge as I could. But everything that I had access to seemed to be from like the victim's point of view, like as a child that's grown up to an adult and they're telling their story, which was helpful. Um, but I found it extremely hard to find someone's story like mine. I wanted my Mm. feelings to be, you know, validated, like, you know, Mm. and my thought process and, you know, a little bit more guidance, but I found it hard to get my hands on anything. And so I thought, part of my healing process may be to, I feel like I want to write a book yeah, for another mother or father or a guardian, but that's what I needed at my, at that time and probably still need, but I couldn't, there's probably books out there. I just found it not as easily readable as a victim's point of view. So your healing has a long way to go still for you. Yeah. I think, yeah, it'll be a slow process, you know, maybe writing it out. Are you um, having your own therapy or is there only finances to afford the girls at the moment? Yeah, well, it's like at the moment there was a point where the girls were going quite a few times a week, which was that it's, you know, 
$250 every time my child goes. For an hour, right? Yeah. So, and Mm. if they've got to go multiple times a week and both of them need to go, it got kind of expensive. We got some of it back, um, but it's still, you know, a lot. So I wasn't, I was getting to work with the therapist while I was there. So, you know, that helped a bit, but, um, yeah, it was again, just financially probably not something that I could have really put a lot of focus on. Do you think that, um, you could ever see yourself being in another relationship? There was someone, there has been someone and it it didn't work out. I wouldn't trust that person for a while. Um, that would be the hardest thing and Mm. not to be, I don't want to be made felt like this is a burden when it's, it was never our choice. So I I don't know someone that accepts that, that this was never our choice, but this will be a part of our life forever. Um, I think that's, you know, there's probably made that pool of available people really a lot smaller, (laughs) But it's so, it's just so unfair. Yeah, it is. The whole thing is just, you know, this impact on the three of you. And, you know, I'm sure infiltrating into your family and it's just, yeah. Will you or do you think you have any fight left or is there any point to fight anymore? And will you fight anymore? Yeah, um, I think that's one thing that I like about me, I guess, is I'm extremely driven and I still, I feel like I've got a lot of fight. There are some days where I'm too mentally um, drained to even think about it, but um, I still want to seek some form of justice for the children, um, whether that be through, I don't know, education maybe. I don't know. I feel by speaking about it is fighting, I guess, because I think he, you know, that thing about abusers, they rely, they hide in our silence. So Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. be, I know there are, so many people that cannot talk about their abuse and what happened to them for their reasons. But so that's why I think it's important for someone like me who can talk. Um, and I will encourage my children to talk as well, to be the voice for those people that are unable to, for their reasons, talk. It's interesting because I've never actually had the chance to ask someone this before, but did people you know closely listen to the first part of the podcast that we did? Yes. And what was that experience like for them and for you? My One of my best friends actually um, listened to it and I think her, what she said to me sticks with me the most. She said... Um, 
you know, after listening to that, she said, I, I didn't realize that you're still living through this. You know, we can listen to it and hurt and cry, but then go home and live our life with our family. But you, you still are still, this is still with you. You're still living through this. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think the first, yeah, part one was just a little window in for people to, um, see that this is something that we still are living through every day. And cause I don't really talk about it much to anyone anymore. Um, mm. so I think this is just, it was just really good for them to see what we were thinking and feeling because I don't necessarily discuss it with anyone. And I think the people that have listened to it, I think you've stayed with all of us. Like I think of you and the girls and we've never met, but I think of you and the girls all the time. And I still have so many people asking about you and the girls and the constancy of your situation is still with us, you know, and, and I don't know if that means anything, but it feels like we maybe can hold a little bit of that weight with you. Yeah. I think so many people are afraid to speak because of, you know, community judgment and, you know, things like I've said, how many people I've friends that have, I've lost. So to see and hear that our story is touching so many people and that, you know, there's an, huge support there with words and like you said emails and stuff it's just you know I think that's encouraging and hopefully encourages others to speak out as well mm. how are the girls they're they're good they I can actually say that they're really good um are they oh I'm so happy yeah there's you know there's bad days bad weeks but, you know, they're so, like, my oldest will just go, Mum, I need to go to my therapist. And, you know, that day I'll ring up and get us in. Um, so I, I love that they can do that and not just, you know, the thought of them suffering in silence and not telling me. Um, and I think that's another thing, you know, how you said you're reading books and you're talking to your children about, you know, these things. I think that being that parent, I was that parent. Yes, that still happened to us, but my children felt comfortable telling me that this had happened to them, Mm. which I think is huge because there's probably a lot of children that just, you know, holding it, hold it forever. Um, and never have gone through life, not telling anyone. So yeah, all that education is so important. Um, so yes, my children feel comfortable telling me when they're struggling and to sit down and talk about, you know, we can actually talk about what happened to some extent without tears, which is huge because I don't, one thing I think is extremely important is that they don't ever carry his shame. That's for him to carry, Mm. not them. 
So it's going to be an interesting one because you know it's coming. But our final question, who are you when no one's watching now? Um, I think with friends and family, they see, you know, I'm always quite happy and, you know, everything's matter of fact and there's no real emotions. Like I said, I'm not someone that does well with emotions. Um, so yeah, I think that on the surface, but when no one is actually watching, um, I think I just feel extremely lost. Just don't know. Yeah. Don't know where I fit sometimes, but, um, not as broken anymore, which I mm. think is as good, which is good. I think it has brought this has definitely made the kids and I closer and definitely feel like I need them more than they will ever need me. But mm. yeah, I guess I'm a little lost still, but not as broken. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing with us where you guys are at. And I know that everyone will be so grateful to hear from you and also so pleased that these little girls are um, and you are building your life, a beautiful life together again. Yes. Yeah, we are. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's the Deep. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting, it's quirky, it's curious, it's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.